0: I'm going to ask Beth Krauss if she'll come up. I'm not leaving. I just forgot to get the...
1: Uh... Oh, no! Push down.
0: Push down. There you go. There's somebody hiding in there. We, we planned it that way. After that excitement. Uh, a couple weeks ago we talked about the importance of daily devotions and I asked people who had experiences they might want to share to get in touch with me. So the first person who did so was Bill Kirk and we heard from him last week and the second person to contact me was uh, Beth Krauss and uh, She actually wrote hers out, and when I read it, I thought, boy, it'd be great for the rest of you to to hear this discussion. So uh, that's what we're going to do here, and uh, uh, I always like it when people give me a few questions that I can float in case I'm uh, uh, short on my own questions, which I'm not in this case, but I'm going to take uh, these two questions to start. So Beth, uh, when we talked about the significance of a daily quiet time. Uh, you responded very quickly in your uh, note to me, but uh, uh, what, what came to your mind? What were you thinking about when we had that discussion?
1: Yeah, so when I heard you um, mention that you would be interested in hearing people's stories, I immediately thought of what God has been doing in my life um, for probably like the last three to six months. Actually, I said a year when I emailed you, and then Steve said it was probably more like three to six months. Uh That's (laughs) Um, what husbands are for. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So actually, in my entire life, I've never had a consistent quiet time, um, which is something that I i 'm sad about, but i 've always lacked basically the discipline um, and the consistency to do that in my life. But as I got older and um, my faith matured a little bit and I had a family, I really saw the need for it that I really needed it in my life, um, But with more children, time also became less as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew that for myself that I needed to do it first thing in the morning because by midday or evening, my mind was just too bogged down by. Uh, what the day carried so I needed to do it in the morning but the only problem being that I could never get up before my kids in the morning so yeah I know um uh-huh. so I just started asking God whenever I thought of it God please help me to get up in the morning um I really need to do this and I just you know would pray through for it throughout the day and and one day I did it I got up before my kids and I sat and I read the word um and prayed and uh Started to do it more and more. It became a habit, and it started quite short. I would read uh, a psalm and a chapter in Proverbs, and uh, and then I would pray. And uh, yeah, so I started doing it.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, so then you did it for a period of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it became more of a habit. What else did you notice in your life that was taking place that that seemed an outgrowth of that? Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, so in the first couple weeks, um, it was kind of just getting started. It was was becoming a habit. Um, And I did it at first because I knew that I needed to do it. I knew that I needed it in my walk with God. But then as time went on, I found that I really was looking forward to it in the morning. Um, It became a very coveted time to me. Um, So in the first few weeks, I I didn't notice much fruit from it. It just became a habit, something that I was doing. Um, And then I would say after a couple months of doing it, I really started, um, my heart really started to change. Um, Hmm. Other passions that I have in my life that are inherently good things, I noticed they started to kind of slide into the background and that uh, my passion for Christ and for knowing Him um, really became front and center in my life. Um, my thoughts and my motivations throughout the day were more aligned with, with God and with what the Word says. Um, I had, my desire to serve others really grew, um, which in turn uh, lessened the time that I had to think about myself and my own problems. Um, Having a daily devotions, it didn't take my problems away and God didn't start answering all my prayers, but the changing of my heart um, kind of made those things seem a little bit smaller. I just wasn't thinking about my own needs as much. Um, He gave me a little bit more of a a kingdom mindset, which I know you talk about a lot. I've been reading through the Gospels recently, so I feel like that's fresh in my mind. Just the way Jesus acted um, throughout, you know, throughout the Gospels, and the way the apostles acted, and uh, that's kind of given me more of a of a fresh example of how I am supposed to be in daily life. Um, praying daily and bringing my needs before the Lord daily, um, over and over again, has been a real tangible way for me to lay things at God's feet. I know we talk about that a lot in the church and I've always struggled with, what does that mean to lay things at God's feet? Um, but praying for things every day is, is almost, I'm releasing them into his control. Mm-hmm. Um, um, the other thing too is that uh, I'm, I'm learning about myself recently that I'm, I'm a very strong-willed person. Um, and daily time with God has been an opportunity for me to submit my will to him every day. Um, one of the things that I've been praying is, uh, for his will to be done, not my own. Um, so again, just the practice of doing that daily, it's like the more you say it, it kind of starts to come true. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the other thing is, uh, daily repentance, um, the first thing that I pray for when I when I pray is, Lord, if there's anything that you need to show me that I need to repent of that I might not be aware of, please show me. Um, so just the daily act of of asking the Lord forgiveness for my sins.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, that's great. That sounds like a lot of important things happening, and uh, <clears throat> that that uh, you didn't actually use the term, I think, but. You have a sister, I think, in our congregation, right? I do, and she she talks many times about control and giving up control. And it seems to me you're you're also talking about that when you talk about your own will submitting mm-hmm. to God. Mm-hmm. So, well, that's uh that's excellent. That's a uh, so even though you're a busy mom with uh, three young children. Uh, this has become a priority in your life. Uh, maybe in part because you have three young children, uh, you recognize that you can either turn to the Lord or go crazy.
1: Amen. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Yes. Well, excellent. Thanks so much for sharing with us. Thank you. I'm not going to try to put these back in that mysterious room. Uh, I'm going to avoid that. All right, we, we started a few weeks ago talking about prayer, and I want to spend a few minutes uh, reflecting with you today. We have uh, communion, communion this morning, so our time is somewhat limited, but I want to start on uh, an issue that we'll talk about for a few weeks here, and it is the problem of unfulfilled, unanswered prayer. And that's a big issue. I want to start by just reading passages from two psalms. Now remember, the psalms are the hymn book of the church. The psalms are what Jesus prayed, and probably memorized, he prays the Psalms even when he is on the cross. So the Psalms are given to us to enable our voice to lift up the Lord, to, to teach us what prayer is like. So let's read a few verses from Psalm 65 and from Psalm 77. Praise awaits you, our God, in Zion. To you, our vows will be fulfilled. You who answer prayer, to you all people will come. When we were overwhelmed by sins, you forgave our transgression. Blessed are those you choose and bring near to live in your courts. We are filled with the good things of your house, of your holy temple. And I love that description in verse 2, don't you? You who answer prayer. That's the character of God. He hears... And he answers prayer. All right. Psalm 77. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night I stretched out untiring hands, and I would not be comforted. I remembered you, God, and I groaned, I meditated, and my spirit grew faint. You kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. I thought about the former days, the years of long ago. I remembered my songs in the night. My heart meditated, and my spirit asked, Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? Well, that's quite a contrast to understate it, right? From this triumphant, you, God, who hear prayer and answer prayer, to God. Where are you? What has happened to your love? Have you forgotten how to be merciful to me? <clears throat> Part of the reason that we begin each service or we, we build our prayer time in each service around a psalm. Some people wonder, well, why would you do that? Part of it is because we need the the honesty and integrity of looking at all of the psalms. Do you know that more than half the psalms are psalms of lament? They're psalms of sadness, of perplexity, of asking God... What is going on with you, God? That's what Psalm 77 does. Well, we'll talk more about laments, I think, at a future time and about the Psalms, but I wanted you to see what this, I wanted you to see and to feel this contrast. You can feel it, right? Because you've probably been there. Some of you are in Psalm 77 this morning, some of you have been there. For years. So it's this problem of unanswered prayer. And it's a big problem. Especially when you get these testimonies. Old and especially New Testament. Psalm 65. Oh you who hear prayer. We're filled with the good things of your house. All right, that, that sounds good, huh? So the man says to Jesus, if you can do anything, have mercy on us. Have mercy on my son. Jesus says, if you can, all things are possible to the one who believes. Seek and you will find. Ask and you will receive. Knock and the door will be opened. Because everyone who seeks finds. Everyone who asks receives. Whoa, that's pretty good. If any two of you, says Jesus, shall agree Upon earth, regarding anything you will ask, it shall be done for them. And then you pray and you don't get an answer? The God who hears, hears you, says Scripture. And it's hearing, not just in the sense that my wife says, did you hear me? Well, yeah, I did. No, this, this is hearing in the sense of answering. God hears. But sometimes, sometimes he doesn't. And that's where the struggle comes in, the struggle to understand, the the struggle to process my relationship with God when what I pray for doesn't seem to work. It seems like the, the cosmic phone is off the hook. I know in the world of cell phones that most of you don't even understand that metaphor anymore. So, yeah. God, are you listening? Really? To me? You're listening? Well, what's going on? And the result is perplexity. Many of us as believers are really perplexed about prayer, and being perplexed about prayer, we're really perplexed about God. And that perplexity shows up anywhere from just a sort of cynicism about prayer. Yeah, all right, you know, sounds good, but doesn't seem to have helped me. To to a sense of guilt, I, I must not be doing it right. Or outright frustration and anger against God. I'm giving up on God. He's, he has not been here for me. Maybe other people he hears, but he's, he's not listening to me for whatever reason. I don't know what's going on here. So, uh, we need to talk about that, I think, for a while. And And a disclaimer right up front, there are mysteries here that we will never solve, okay? So that's the disclaimer up front. On the other hand, there are things that we can say that may be helpful to us, and Scripture says some of these things. What Scripture says is, this is the easy level to start out. The easy level is that there are some prayers that are inappropriate. And so, when we take the balance of Scripture, we take these promises about the God who hears prayer, the God who answers prayer, the God who hears everything we pray, who knows our needs before we ask, and who encourages us to come and ask because everyone who asks receives. But now that, that gets qualified in a number of ways as we take full account of Scripture. And part of the qualification is, yes, there are prayers that are inappropriate prayers. Even though Jesus says, whatever you ask, believing, there's still a fine print, right? Uh, there are some prayers that are inappropriate. And even inappropriate prayers sometimes will get answered. That's, that's part of the mystery of it, Right? Sometimes we ask for stuff that, you know, we look back later and say, what, was I crazy? And, and God appears to answer that, sometimes. But sometimes He doesn't, and it is really a problem with us. So let's talk about a couple categories of inappropriate prayers. So it's sort of a checklist when we start out and we're wrestling with our perplexity It's fair to come back and say, well, is there something about the way I'm praying that is inappropriate in itself? It's not the answer to all the problems of unfulfilled prayer, but it's a place to start, right? So let's think about a couple things. What about double-minded prayers? Jesus' uh, little brother, James, wrote one letter for us that's included in our New Testament, and, and he talks about this in chapter 1. He's talking to people who are struggling with troubles, tribulations. And they don't know how to process that. And so James says, well, uh, if anyone is struggling with those kinds of things, let, let that person ask from God, ask for wisdom. Remember, wisdom is living God's way in God's world. So James says... Ask God for wisdom about how you are to step through your particular tribulation. And, uh, and it'll be given. God will not say, well, you know, you've been acting stupidly or whatever. No, James says God is happy to answer that prayer. But he says, let that person ask in faith, Believing because uh, if you ask in doubt, he says, then you are a double-minded person. That's, that's an interesting image, right? Like you got two brains and they're going in different directions. And James says uh, that person is, uh, is tossed to and fro, back and forth. He's double-minded. And he's unstable. And he says, let not that person think that they'll receive anything from God. Because they don't ask with single-mindedness in prayer. So you can probably think about places where you've been double-minded, maybe, right? Maybe places where you've prayed, Lord, I want guidance from you in resolving this situation in my life. But in our minds, our double minds, we have small print appended to that request. Say, Lord, show me the direction, but small print. These are a couple directions I don't want to go in. But please direct me, right? That's double-mindedness. One of the greatest examples of double-mindedness that, that I think I've ever read is from the, the Confessions of St. Augustine, which takes you back to the 5th century, 4th, 5th century. And he, he's one of the greatest theologians and churchmen in, in the history of Christianity. And uh, he wrote his Confessions, which talk about his own experience in coming to Christ he grew up with a pagan father and a Christian mother she prayed for him faithfully but in his early years Saint Augustine went the way more of his father and uh, uh, studied pagan philosophy and taught pagan philosophy he was, he was very he was brilliant and uh, And then his his mother's prayers (laughs) began to catch up with him, and his heart started to incline more toward Christian faith and following Jesus, but one of the things that held him back was he had a mistress, and he had that sensuous, lustful side, and he realized that to come to faith in Christ would mean that he'd have to change his lifestyle. And so he tells us that in that period of time of transition, he, uh, he would pray, uh, "God make me holy, but not yet." I love the honesty of that prayer, but it, it is definitely a double-minded prayer, huh? Well, James says, that's, that's inappropriate. That's, that's not going to get answered from God. Well, then there's closely related is selfish prayers. James talks about that in chapter 4 of his letter. He says, on the one hand, you do not have because you do not ask. So, So ask. That's the encouragement to pray. But then he immediately says after that, or you ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. Whatever that may be. God, I need that promotion because I need more money. I need more money because, well, you you fill it in, right? Easily our prayers become self focused, those are inappropriate prayers. Or how about magical prayers? Magic, we've said before, is the use of words or ceremonies to bring control back to that. Right, Beth and uh, Christine. Yeah, magic is that notion that that in a a random. Uh, uncomfortable world. I can somehow get control of of powers and processes that are bigger than me and uh, and I get some security out of that. So here's a book that just popped up on the internet and uh, I thought, oh, that's interesting. The Magic of Prayers. 70 Powerful Prayers to manifest what you desire. Boy, I, I guess I better get that book. <laughs> Magical prayers. Sometimes we pray inappropriately because what we're really trying to do is grab control. And we may not think of it as magic, but that's the root of it, friends. It's a very ancient idea that you can do these things. And the resurgence of of, uh, witches, that movement in our own culture, uh, is just one of the indications that that sort of an approach to the universe never dies out. Sometimes it goes underground for a bit, but it never dies out. And we're seeing a resurgence of it. And the the problem is, not just that there's witches out there that work with magic, but that we can get those same ideas in our head as we think about our relationship with God. And the last thing I'll mention is, I went back and forth on what to call this. I think I'd just call it naive prayers. So, I mean, here's, here's an example, right? How about, there's all this money out there, you know, not in my wallet, not in yours, but there's all this money out there. And there's people going into Wawa every day, and they go to this machine in the corner, and they put money, 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 money into it. And pretty soon then, we'll hear on the radio or the TV that the... uh, The Pennsylvania lottery has grown to some ginormous amount that I couldn't even count that high. And all you have to do is you buy a ticket and, you know, you have a chance to do it. And people are dumping money out on this. Now, so how about this? So how about if I say, well, you know, I believe God is sovereign. He, he can handle this. I, I'm a Christian. I don't think it's a chance universe. That's what these people think who are, are, are buying a lottery. I don't think it's a chance universe. God, I, I think you're in control of all these things. So here's what I'm thinking. I, you know, I got some credit cards that really need paying off. And it would be nice, too, if I could clear off the mortgage on my house. And, you know, if, if I won, if I won this week, I could do that and lots of other really good stuff. You know, I, I, think, I think Grace Bible Church really needs to renovate the gymnasium. The building's getting old and... We could just use it better. That part of this story is true, by the way. (laughs) Uh, In case any of you win the Powerball. (laughs) So, uh, so So, here's a prayer, right? God, you have all the power. If I just buy a few of these tickets, and you'd be pleased to grant me the winning ticket, you know, I could handle a few of these little needs of my own, and and I'm a generous person. I'd be happy to fund the renovation of the gymnasium, or I'd do something something else good. I, you know, I I'd, I'd give thousands of dollars to Samaritan's Purse, or I... Now, what's wrong with that? Well, we don't have time to talk about all the things that are wrong with that. There's a lot wrong with it. And let me give you what I think is the root problem. The root problem is that that whole approach, which is coming to dominate so much of our culture, is an approach which is based on an assumption that what happens in the world is arbitrary, good fortune hits some people and not others. You've heard of Lady Luck? Lady Fortune, you know that the Romans worshipped a goddess called Fortuna, Fortune. And, and Lady Fortune, for the Romans, was the one who was kind of in a, in a bizarre world, In a world of happenstance, she was a goddess who could intervene and give you good fortune. Again, the Internet's kind of amazing, both for good and evil. I got thinking about this the other day, and I just decided to Google Lady Fortune. There are prayers out there right now that you can pray I even saw one, a seven-day sequence of prayers to Lady Fortune with almost a guarantee. This will change your life. And it'll change your life. The implication is you will start to prosper in ways you wouldn't otherwise. Now, I think that the secular lottery that the states have gone to, many states, maybe all states by now, I think it's actually rooted back in that ancient notion of Lady Fortuna. Idolatry, right? And is it, is it even realistic, the strangest reach of your mind, to think that the living and true God, who is sovereign over all things, who knows your needs before you ask him, is it remotely likely that that God would intervene to give you something that is rooted in an ancient, idolatrous understanding of the world? Is that remotely likely? Or is that naïve? is that something that if we understand who God is and who we are in Jesus Christ that that would be the farthest thing so we actually talked about this at the seminary years ago what would happen if somebody came to us and said we just won the lottery we want to pay off all your debts we talked about that seriously and we decided that it was a gift that we could not accept. Were you part of that discussion? Todd and I were on the faculty together. Those are naive prayers. And there's other kinds of naive prayers. That, that if we think about who God is and who we are and what the world is like, that it's highly unlikely that God are, is going to answer those prayers, right? Right? Those are inappropriate prayers. All right. Yes. But, having said all that, suppose a young mother contracts cancer and the whole church gathers and prays to God on her behalf. But in spite of all these prayers, prayers that are not selfish, that are not naive, that are not inappropriate in any way. We do that, and in spite of all, we have a funeral. Peter Grieg, in his good book, God on Mute, says this, The brutal fact of the matter is, That while most of us pray, prayer does not always seem to work, and it is not easy to be honest about this. That's why we need to read the Psalms. That's why we need to talk together about when prayer does not appear to work. And when there's nothing that we can perceive within ourselves that would block an answer to prayer. That's what we'll try to do next week. So think about it, reflect on it. Let's pray. God our Father. We turn to you and thank you that you are a God who hears. You hear us this morning. You you know the thoughts, the intents, the requests of every heart in this audience. And yet, Lord, the reality is that sometimes we feel unheard, And sometimes the experiences that we go through seem to be exactly the opposite of what we would hope and what we would even expect from a God who hears and answers prayer. And some of us, Lord, are just, even right now, turned upside down by that reality we are saddened, we're perplexed, we may be cynical or angry because our relationship with you is not what we were told it would be, not what we expected. And it's painful for us even to acknowledge it or to talk about it. So, Lord, in these next weeks, as we push one another to probe into the reality of prayer, and that means, Lord, probing into the reality of who you are as our Father and our God. Will you help us? And will you bring about life giving change in us? Whatever that looks like. Because we ask it in the name of your Son, our Savior and our Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen.